2: Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Heckfeldt. I'm your host, Our guest today is Eric Meth, who is founder and CEO of Good Harvest Company, and we're going to talk a little bit about his experience in consumer packaging goods and retail and how he's gotten into the cannabis space. Excited for this. I think this is uh, the whole kind of branding, marketing, how do you find customers, how do you develop audience is critical right now in this kind of growing, no pun intended, cannabis industry. So Eric, welcome to the program.
3: Thank you, Bruce. I appreciate you having me on the podcast. Excited to jump in.
2: Yeah. Well, well, let's do that. I always like to start with guests just kind of giving a sense of their professional background. And then, you know, we can talk about how you pivoted into what, you know, how and why you pivoted into cannabis. But what was your professional background? Tell me more about your marketing and uh, expertise there.
3: Sure. So the... Overall, I've been involved with consumer packaged goods and and retail marketing for about 25 years. Early on, it was very print-focused. Worked with the division of News Corp, focused on literally Sunday newspaper coupon inserts, which also was tied into in-store. So all the experiences I've had since then have always weaved in this consumer packaged goods, CPG, fast-moving consumer goods, FMCG, consumer electronics. It's it's always been sort of a woven-in facet. I also looked at the digital media space relatively early, probably like mid-90s, not to date myself, but everyone else thought it was a fad. We don't think this is going to (laughs) last. Stick with print. Print will live on forever. (laughs) Uh, We know how that that rolled out. So between the last organization I was with, I've always found myself as a business lead a business development lead touched a little product within the the course of that uh, work history but i've always been responsible for building up divisions within these larger organizations i've had experience with startups as well but it got to the point particularly with my last company which was very involved with very large retailers where we were touching a lot of data coming yeah. from the shopping and the buying behavioral side and i was also very tied in with a lot of the ad tech companies between demand-side platforms, supply-side platforms, data management platforms, everything that was like the connective tissue for major brands to more effectively buy media. That's what our group did. So as I looked, we had some changes of control. company was acquired. I naturally started looking at, at something else for a variety of reasons. But Cannabis was something that was of personal interest as a consumer. Mm-hmm. From a business standpoint, I had a decent amount of personal investment. Um, I looked more into the the companies stocks I was buying, and the consumer experience. There was just far too many parallels that I couldn't avoid between CPG yeah. and retail. And I, as I started peeling back the onion a little bit more, it just became more apparent that what I'm doing now and what we're building at good harvest is very apt and, and needed yeah. in the marketplace, which we can get into.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like
2: that. I mean and just maybe uh explain a little bit for some of the folks that aren't as familiar with the marketing background. I mean, it, you know, marketing went through this whole kind of transformation of, you know, well, well, we'll push out advertisements and we'll, you know, put things in papers and then we'll just, you know, we'll see if people show up. Like it was this very kind of, we're going to put Hollywood stuff in the world. The and, yeah. and over the last, you know, decade, two decades, you know, this stuff has become much more technical. Sure. What are some of the things that, that marketing has really been able to do in terms of being more sophisticated about, you know, customers and audience and demand and triggers? Like, give us a sense of what you have Learning in this space that you're now applying to the to the cannabis world.
3: Yeah, great question. So the in general, the market has become more adept from everything to customer retargeting. So most consumers, depending on what you like, if you're a golfer, a golf avid golfer, you tend to see a lot of golf ads online. A lot of those golf ads are sent to you, your specific mobile device or your desktop, whatever you're viewing, your OTT, your television. It's all based on how you conduct yourself online. What do you do? Places you go, sites that you visit. Uh, you might look at the Masters, you might go to the ESPN and you're digesting a lot of golf content. You're going to golf retailers and looking at ping drivers. You're going to get ads for those things. The main way that's being done is through general retargeting. So, pixels, cookies, which some are familiar with, are dropped on your machine. And that's how they're basically saying, you're interested in this product because you've taken this action X amount of times. The more The industry started grabbing towards this notion of what's called programmatic media, automated media. Think of it as the stock exchange. Instead of stocks being traded on a marketplace, it's digital, mobile, video inventory, native inventory uh, that's put there by publishers who are looking to find ways, especially sales teams that will go out but what they don't sell, most of their sell-through rates are 50% or so. They're putting in these marketplaces to expand the reach of qualified buyers who might be interested in purchasing that online inventory, that digital inventory. Uh, and that's really the ecosystem that I was leveraging with my last role. We built a, a business pretty pretty handily with a very good team on the operation side to $175 million over the course of Five years, which I don't take full credit for at all. (laughs) I had a very good team. Um, Some lucks, the timing. But again, the harvesting of the data was Uh really focused on specifically shopping and buying behaviors. Some of these large retailers, just think any big box retailer, my company, my former company, worked with. And we created a very uh, non-obvious monetization channel for them things that they weren't making money off of and certainly not making any close margin by selling products. They're making fractional margins off of all those products and doing all the marketing and all the overhead. This was a completely unscheduled revenue line for them. Yeah. So we were serving up at virtually a hundred. Think about it. If we can leverage a consumer who didn't buy anything, but they could still make money off of them by serving an ad to them, it was that was kind of the no-brainer pitch that we went into. So I took a page from that, and as I looked at the cannabis space, there is a Earth of data, yeah. uh, not specifically for media activation and marketing activation. There's yeah. a lot of data in the market. There's point of sale systems that harness data. There's CRM platforms that harness data. Uh, but the connection point to take that rich data, specifically tied to how consumers shop for cannabis products, ultimately purchase cannabis products, research cannabis products on brand sites, mm-hmm. that's the connection point that I didn't see. Uh, so I was at, this was a year plus ago, MJ BizCon, and 2017 yep. when it was you know mere, merely uh, 16,000 people. Yeah. Which is the, the, <laughs> 27, the 27, yeah, exactly yeah, <laughs> that hit this year, uh, which is so interesting going from one year to the next. I engaged a lot of brands and and media companies and agencies and the ancillaries that were there and just really tried to figure out what that hole was and it just kept coming back to the
2: data side. So
3: yeah. flew home, wrote a business plan, and quit my nice cushy job and. Started raising capital, and here we are.
2: Yeah, excellent. And and was this a really a moment in the cannabis space? I mean, a, you know, a year before that, it wasn't ready, and a year from now, things would be too far along. I mean, how I guess how much do you feel like this is timing for cannabis? Um,
3: I, timing is is as I say, timing is everything. I think you know, an, an advisor of mine who comes from the data space pretty much had this idea when we first engaged and first met. I just saw this big smile go on his face because he's like, that's the idea I had like four years ago and it was way too early, <laughs> yeah. but you're ripe for it now. Yeah. And look, I think there's still within mm-hmm. cannabis, everything is slow. When I look at where things are, it's rapidly catching up, mm-hmm. but particularly mm-hmm. from an advertising and advertising technology standpoint, we're a good 10 or so years behind where the traditional advertising space is right now, the ad tech space. I see this as, and I believe you, this is, I'm a very small fish in a a rapidly growing pond, but this is what also helped transcend me into this. This is what I know. This is what I've done. This is how I've applied myself from a professional standpoint. And when people ask about getting into the cannabis, I say the same thing, like take what you know that you're doing really well and apply it that way, don't do something completely unrelated. Well, everyone
2: wants to open a grow or something, <laughs> like unless unless you're an expert farmer and yes, agricultural I, I, scientist. Yes, probably yes. not the best move. Yeah,
3: exactly. No, I'm in Jersey, and it, you know, there, yeah. there's plenty of you know, basil farmers that are in Jersey that probably can apply that skill set. And become a, a cannabis cultivator, but yeah. not someone who had a side grow when they were in college or high school. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to run a cannabis. So yeah. anyway, that that's what drove me into the space and seeing this need to make this connection. So I, I think there there are things that are happening at a more rapid pace in some levels, but I also feel that there's things that are just crawling along that need to be expedited. And I feel that this is one of them.
2: Yeah. So, so let's talk a little bit about sort of the customers that you're serving the services that you're providing them. Like who are you targeting in terms of, um, you know, helping them with, with the sort of technologies and and what are the, what are the actual engagements or the, you know, the services look like right now, given where the industry is?
3: Yep. So the the main customers that we're ultimately serving, it's twofold. There's the retail side, and then there's the brand side. And the brand side could also extend into what we'll call non-endemics, non-cannabis brands that might want to reach cannabis consumers. But the retailers who are, in some cases, doing things really well, utilizing customer relationship management platforms that are in the market between Baker, Springbik, etc., or their own POS systems that have these organic capabilities built in, uh, they don't need that integration. Uh, they're communicating to their known audiences in that regard, and they should continue doing that. Some are doing it better than others, depending on how robust of a loyalty program they've established. They might have 50 percent of their overall customer base engaged with their loyalty program. A lot of it depends on the incentives and the benefits that they're extending if it's not that great a program they might see 15 percent of their overall so there, there's an active base of consumers that they know what they're purchasing how they're purchasing at what frequency and they're using sms messaging and emails to influence increase in purchase for those specific types of products that they're typically engaged with and purchasing already the part that's missing is particularly when you have more dense areas mature markets, mature DMAs, the total addressable market that most of these retailers are reaching is small in comparison to the whole 10, 15% high concentrated areas. There might be a hundred retailers in that area. We're specifically focused right now on adult use markets. Okay. And then you have a market like Massachusetts, which just, I think, launched their fourth adult use retailer yep. and After a very long three-year yeah, wait. Yeah, painful. Um, <laughs> Painful. Yeah. But I mean, 9.3 million, I think, was the first yeah. month's sales figures off the first two. Yeah, Not a ton of demand issues there, right? Yeah. There, there's enough supply. There's greater demand. Not a whole lot of need for advertising. But when we look at a mature market between Colorado, large scale markets like California, other mature markets that have been around Washington, Oregon, this is where the retailers need to find ways to communicate into other apt consumers, ideal consumers that are displaying the same behaviors, mm-hmm. this is where a product like ours would come in. So we could provide a more scalable way to reach other, and I hate to call them look-alikes, I, keep, I tend to think of them more as shop-like consumers, because what okay. you do online from a general browsing behavior standpoint doesn't necessarily define that you're interested in those products. When you're physically shopping and you're going through that higher funnel mm. process of the shopping experience down to that mid-funnel, down to that low funnel where you're ready to make that purchase... Those are really the main intent signals that we're going after. Some of it it. is open market data that's available. And we also want to adhere to a lot of the regulatory requirements as the laws are written for specific marketing purposes. You can obviously do outdoor, digital out of home, billboards, Mm -hmm. newspaper, magazine, etc. When it comes to digital... And I'm sure others, on guests of yours, have said the same thing. It's well known that the I call them the Big Five: the Microsofts, the Amazons, Google, Facebook, Apple, not touching this. Yeah. And I challenge how long it'll be until they decide to touch. Yeah. What it, do, you, even do you
2: have a Do you have a sense? I mean, because it seems like the pressure is mounting, or whatever the the pressure is unmounting in terms of you know the to do it or not do it. Do you think yeah. they're going to turn, or do you think they're going to start allowing some of these things? And if so, when?
3: I think they'll they'll tread water very. Gradually, yeah. I get asked this a lot, also from an investor standpoint. What yeah. happens when Google jumps in? You're you're wiped out. Yeah. Not necessarily. If you look at the track record so far, they're not touching a lot of categories that are legal. When you think about it, they're not touching pornography. They're not touching yeah. firearms. They're not touching gambling. They're not touching cryptocurrency. So even when, and we, and the when, when you're looking at federal legalization, or at least some regulatory and legislative initiatives that are in place like the states act which might make it easier for them to 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 bank and not have that sensitivity of taking ad dollars coming from a cannabis business and yeah. illicit business that's at the federal level I, again i still challenge i i personally think whether or not we have an administration change plus another midterm cycle you know i'm i'm betting four years along with more states we go from 10 adult use states to 30 yeah. i think the game changes and everything else that's tied in with if our New pending AG gets confirmed what his stance (laughs) is. So there's a lot of unforeseen, but I I do think it's going to allow for smaller players to kind of pave the way. And the other historical that I've been exposed to when I look at data management platforms specifically, they've had very nice time to tap into that data side. And despite the fact that a large, big ad tech player can simply come in, replicate what you're doing, hopefully you have some level of IP attached to it. They also look at the amount of expertise, whether it's an aqua hire plus some technology or some type of IP acquisition. It's really the knowledge that you're bringing with the team that you've assembled yeah. um, and the depth of relationships that you have where it just makes it that much easier for them to say, great, we're going to just take it and we'll short sure structure you on an earn out like they always do. Mm-hmm. But that's where I think they are more likely to go find the right companies that have done it well and pave the path.
2: Yeah, just absorbent. It. yeah, absorbent. Yeah, I think that and I think I see that happening with lots of different facets of this industry where because of the, the federal legislation, you know, the big players are not coming into it. So it creates this kind of vacuum that you can enter, you can take the expertise, enter, start something, uh, get some traction, and then yeah, either make good money between now and when they kind of come in, and then hopefully set yourself up for being, you know, easier to acquire than to compete against. So I, I, I think that's it's happening. in several areas.
3: Yeah, um, so the, the retail the retailer's one side and then yeah. the other side that you're asking is is obviously the brand. So connecting yeah. the brands to the retailers where they're ultimately looking to sell and distribute their products is the other end. So the retailers are I think of them as like the fuel who's providing the the data. We've built a pump that's that's extracting the rich elements out of that data and and kind of refining it and the end user of the data ultimately could be the retailer as well. So there's benefits for them contributing data in. They could extract data out. And essentially, the way we're structuring it is it's for free. They have to buy the media that's attached to the data. But we're trying to do this thing really well. Create a, an effective data management platform that allows brands, both inside and outside the cannabis space, to effectively reach consumers specifically around those buying and shopping signals that they're giving off. And not doing it in a way that exposes any personal information because we understand there's certainly sensitivities. Some people some people don't want to give C V S or Walgreens their information. Yeah. So they're they're not gonna sign on to their loyalty program. But I think as you see markets mature that those elements start to sort of winnow away mm-hmm. where people become more comfortable and they want value. So if I can get twenty percent off or a first crack at this new product that comes in, sure. You're creating a value for me. I'll exchange some information, yeah. but not too much information.
2: Yeah. Well, information that is reasonable. It's reasonable based on what you're going to give me in terms of value. So sure. can you give me a case of a, an example, either either real or kind of a hypothetical in terms of the type of brand that might be interested in something like this? Because I think there's there's lots of these kind of cannabis brands. But mm-hmm. I think what's interesting is a lot of these brands that are kind of coming into the space that are ancillary or kind of related yeah. That are are looking to enter or looking to participate in some way.
3: Yeah, I think the the obvious ones are are, are the endemics, the cannabis brands. I see the opportunity, and this is another part of my prior background the, the whole notion of shopper marketing. In this case, I'm, I'm looking at it as cannabis shopper marketing, where a brand is wanting to get distribution in a specific set of retailers. So they're working with a, you know multi state operator, and MSO, and in the sort of standard retail world food drug mass classes of trade retailers like money especially money coming from brands and that's a lot of the behind the scenes that goes on is in order to get that Shelf space that's right in front of your eyes versus the one that's down by your knees. Those brands are paying money to the retailer to get that shelf space. They're also doing localized promotions within that specific market. So you have the national brand dollars that are sort of giving sort of top level support from a marketing standpoint, top level air cover. They're running ads on national television. It could be, you know, P&G or Unilever. But then at the localized level, you've got the specific account reps who are dealing in very specific DMAs just looking to sell more product at Walmart or just looking to sell more product at CVS, there's a coupling of dollars that happens there. So they're getting air cover from a national standpoint. Obviously with cannabis, you're looking at regional or state level. But I think the same applies. If we can combine and make some incentives happen where we can take data that we're gleaning from individual markets, a brand can utilize that data and maybe even partner with the retailer, whether they're doing a 50-50 split on the marketing around it, they're sharing costs, but the whole goal is don't go to this retailer. Go to this retailer. Yeah, wanna brands go to can can utilize, let's just say, you know, Green Dragon in 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 the in the Denver area, and really have an impact on that consumer. And if the retailer is doing their job well, and the product specialists or bud tenders are doing their job well, while they're picking up that advertised product, they're also upselling them three other things when they're in the store. So I think there's there's an opening for that, which obviously helps to amortize the spends that are happening. And then it also helps circumvent some of these challenges because what I find talking to brands, most are looking at the available options that are in the market that don't really have that data layer. I think it's becoming uh, more apparent. I think the data is becoming better. But it still has a ways to go. So instead of the scattershot advertising that exists right now, they have a more definitive way to reach those end consumers against all those buying signals that that, that I went through.
2: Yeah. In terms of sort of the data insights that you're able to actually gather in, this, in, in the cannabis space here, what are the things that... Uh, I guess, what are the sources that you're kind of pulling or what's the raw data you're and what are the insights you're able to develop once you have that data in place?
3: Yeah, it's a good question. So at first, we're going very call, macro. So call them like mega segments. The way okay. that we've built the at least the, the first version, the minimum viable product, the MVP version of, of Good Harvest is built to get more definitive. So if we're looking at tracking a consumer as they come to a cannabis retail site or a brand site, depending on what they're selling, if they're selling cartridges or they're selling edibles, we can bucket them into the edibles category or the concentrates category or the flower category. Now, currently, particularly from a scale standpoint, we just want to know cannabis consumer. Yeah, exactly. In this in this market. Yeah, like
2: so geography and interested. Yeah. yeah,
3: interested and adult. So much like an uh, an alcoholic beverage company would would have to adhere to legal drinking age LDA compliance. It's those are pretty much the main elements. So there's some existing open market data that's available that can focus on the mobile ad ID. So the again the the non Personally identifiable, but the device identifiable piece of information that would allow a brand to retarget against that set of consumers in that DMA, in that geography, and an adult, those are really the two main things. And then we're layering on, this is where our side comes in, we're we're enriching that open market data with additional signals that are coming from at least a first selection of partners that we're starting to work with, where we can glean that additional shopping intent behavior uh, or and then ultimately that buying behavior. Where it becomes interesting, and this is more of a downwind um, opportunity, creating predictive analytics against why consumers shop certain categories but don't convert. Yeah. How can we identify trends? And certainly there's a lot of good companies between you know headset, new frontier data, PDS Analytics—they're helping brands identify who their core shoppers are, and they're gleaning and pulling POS data out of a number of the systems. Headsets, obviously, doing a, a, a deeper job of that and providing subscription services on the on the brand and the retailer side to help them with inventory forecasting and distribution. But again, the, the what next part isn't there. How do you take that rich data that says these consumers buy more of this product in this market? Okay, now what? how do how do, how do I connect that consumer? vis-a-vis media, and send advertising to them. So when they do go into the store, they're asking for that product. The other side of the analytics end, I see that as a measurement component. So as we develop, much like I used to use IRI and Nielsen when we ran a campaign, we can narrow it down to that specific of a national campaign or a regional campaign. We would be able to go to a third party. As much as we can score it ourselves, we can work with the retailer directly, show these individuals were exposed to an ad, these weren't control and, and test sets. And this is what the net impact was. This is what the net sales effect was. Did that net sales effect create a return on ad spend? Mm-hmm. Right. You're also grading your own homework. So there's a lot of folks have some issues with that. So that's why we would use a company like IRI or Nielsen. I think that's where some discussions that I've had with some of these potential partners, uh, that's where I see them adding another layer of value. So we, we can measure these things, make sure it works, make sure the ad spend works so you see another ad spend happen the next time they want to promote. So yeah. it, it's it's a it's a catalytic effect, but it's needed. And I think as more brands and you asked earlier about non-endemic brands, that's what they want. Yeah. They they expect that they're coming from a career in, they're not even gonna look at it if they can't measure it. Yeah. So in order to be able to draw those dollars, which essentially are going to be much larger than any individual cannabis brand or MSO or retailer would be able to put together right now, mm. with exception, you know, Medben $4 million annual ad budget, running billboards everywhere, which yeah. is great. They're doing a lot of good things. They're changing the stigma, educating consumers, all that's needed. But not many cannabis brands have $4 million annual ad budgets. Yeah, well, not yet. So <laughs> as you find more non-endemic brands, not yet. This, this is where we can use a system like this and data that's farmed and analytics and more, most importantly measurement on the
2: end. Yeah, I think some of it's like Wi-Fi on one of our ends. Yeah, I'm, I'm on my 5G. I should be good, but they never know. Yeah. You never know what happens. Yeah. So let's just pick it back up on the, uh, you know, going the 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 other brands as as the bigger brands really want to kind of get into the space and why why all this stuff becomes really important as this industry grows. All right. So yeah. So why why do these bigger brands? How do the why do the brands really care about this stuff? particularly the ones that are not cannabis-specific? Yeah,
3: so I, I look at an example, Totino's, the, the famous Totino's Pizza Rolls. They ran a campaign last April, 420. They canvassed the entire Denver DMA with billboards and, and other outdoor with a very specific creative, better when baked. In the Denver market, Totino's Pizza Rolls, That was that was canvassed all over the place. Yeah. And really well executed. Um, It was was a great use of the medium, the channel distribution using outdoor because it was obviously targeting a very mature market Uh like the Denver DMA. There was no other continuity beyond that. There was no attachment to a mobile campaign. There was no attachment to a desktop campaign, a video campaign. Mostly because, again, the, the average consumer, granted, yes, it's a mature market. People are used to when they understand what 420 is. Yeah. But to be able to enhance that even more and continue the conversation, encourage more purchase of Totino pizza rolls around the largest cannabis holiday, yeah. that didn't exist. Right. There was no other way to do that with any general scale factor. So the billboards were great, and they they essentially got the, the message across. But then I see that also extending if you're looking at uh, ride-sharing services like Uber and Lyft. Uh, mm-hmm. You want to understand location of consumers as much as they want to curb any kind of drug driving, um, mm-hmm. much as they want to curb drunk driving. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are all other apt uses of attracting a cannabis audience and identifying a cannabis audience specifically with a very consumer-specific message that resonates with that audience versus a general audience. So I yeah. see more, more of that. And you can extend that into fast food. You could extend that into other types of consumable products, snack foods, etc. So, yeah, I think that's where there's other applications that, again, allow us to tap into some larger budgets, which might exist, that want to reach that, but they also want the types of measurement and the types of uh, reach and the types of data targeting that they're used to
2: when they run traditional campaigns. Yeah, and I think I'd I'd like... This supports, I think, what really what's happening in the industry, which is, you know, as we move from this kind of, uh, you know, serving the existing pot culture and moving to kind of more, you know, this multifaceted general population, you know, with different uses, different intentions, different kind of attributes, you know, and we start moving into these bigger brands and stuff like getting more sophisticated around this is going to be is going to be key. And, you know, it's it's just going to grow over the next you know, five, 10 years.
3: It's critical. I mean, because yep. uh, we, we all see it. We're seeing it now with obviously brands that are coming in from outside related to Constellation brands and their heavy investment in Canopy, Altria, and their heavy investment in Jewel and Kronos. You know, th- mm-hmm. th- th- these are happening and you're, you're going to find more health and beauty manufacturers like Revlon wow. coming in and utilizing CBD infused yeah, exactly. uh, beauty products and makeup products. So much like there's different classifications of CPG consumers between luxury-oriented consumers, budget brand consumers, mainstream consumers, you're going to need better data and better analytics and targeting to reach those specific subsets of those types of consumers. And again, it's just dovetailing into what they're doing consistently now and what they've been doing for know dozens and dozens of years
2: yeah yeah um so we're gonna hit time here uh great conversation i think we could probably go on for a while on this one and we could maybe we do another episode later to get into some of the details but you know i think it's a great great conversation around kind of the more sophisticated aspect of this industry um and and what we're really going to see more of uh in the in the coming years people want to find out more about you about good harvest what's the best way to get more information
3: sure so we are available to digest all of our information at GoodHarvest. If anyone wants to reach me directly, whether it's for more information as we're getting our beta put together, as we're drawing in more brand and retailer interest, or also investment, which we're still working on, yeah. you can reach me directly at ejm at
2: goodharvest.co. Great. I'll make sure both the link and the email address are in the show notes. Eric, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time. It's been a fascinating conversation.
3: Thank you, Bruce. I was glad to be part of it. And I am an avid listener and I am looking forward to hearing my own wonderful voice (laughs) in this wonderful conversation as much as I've enjoyed the other batch of content that you've been producing
2: over the past uh, couple months. Great. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.
1: You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward newsletter.